There are a lot of ways to waste your time. You thought about that? There are a lot of ways to waste your time. It's, it's amazing the number of ways. <laughs> you can just go on and on. As you think about this last week, how many ways did you waste your time? Now, time is, is a valuable resource. So the question is, how do we effectively use our time? If it's in limited supply, let's not waste it. A friend of mine uh, has Netflix. I happen to have Amazon and Hulu and the other ones. But apparently on Netflix, just in the last couple of weeks, a documentary came out on Bill Gates. It was a three-part series. Maybe you saw that. Um, It just came out these last couple of weeks and fascinating to kind of unpack and get behind Bill Gates, this incredible figure that's that's incredibly wealthy right in our backyard and and what happens in in his brain and thinking and and what is it like? There's kind of a mysteriousness about him. And so this this series sought to unpackage some of that. As my friend was describing this documentary, something really stood out to me as we're talking about time. And one of his assistants, as they hired somebody, was onboarding somebody, and, and the, the employee asked, when Bill Gates schedules a meeting, obviously, you don't want to mess this up, right? So his point, question was to, the, to um, Bill Gates' assistant was, does he show up early? Does he late? Is he on time? What should I anticipate? And the assistant just looked right back at, at the employee and said, he's on time. <laughs> he's not a minute early. He's not a minute late. Because Bill Gates knows exactly where every minute of his day goes. Because... Bill Gates, as wealthy as he is, can't cheat and buy more time. (laughs) You, Bill Gates, me, we all have the exact same amount of time. 60 seconds in a minute, in an hour, in a day, in a week, everything is the same. It's a level playing field. So how are we going to use our time? We don't want to wake up one day and realize we've poured an investment of of life and energy into something that ends up actually being a waste. So how, how do we use our time? And the challenge is sometimes, if we're honest, it's actually hard to tell the difference between a waste of time and what's not a waste. For example, this, this last weekend, I was uh, raking leaves. <laughs> In the exact same spot, I raked leaves a week ago. In the exact same spot, I raked leaves two weeks ago, and probably we'll all be raking leaves next week. Is that a waste of time? Uh, sometimes it's hard to tell what's a waste of time. But we don't want to spend that valuable time on things that end up being a waste. How do we discern? And it's incredibly important we understand this. Now, for some of you, you're excited thinking, oh, he's going to talk about time management. Don't worry, we're not. But for some people, those type A, you're like, yes, of course, tell them. You've got to have your schedule and your minute and your plan and your outlook invites. And some of you are, are just getting nervous even thinking about a calendar because you feel like that's a straitjacket. You're free-flowing and spontaneous and whatever other word we would use. And other people would say wasteful. Other people, no, spontaneous. And, and so this isn't a time management conversation. Let's not go there. There's pros and cons in all of that. We're not going to go time management on it. But the point is, how do we effectively use our time? In scriptural language, we're going to step into how do we use our time wisely or unwise? And here's the, here's the challenge that we'll really feel as we move through this passage, is many of us don't actually feel like we have that much control over our time. Are you employed? Your boss probably has expectations on your time. Do you have kids? Maybe it feels like they run your life. <laughs> All these different environments we find ourselves, we feel like somebody else is pulling our time. And even if we were to wipe it clean and start over, we don't even feel like we have that much control over our time. Your parents have expectations, your kids have expectations, your employer, your spouse, your other. Uh, feels like somebody else. There's a challenge there of how do we use our time wisely? when we sometimes don't even feel like we have control of it. So open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. 
And there's a passage here with several different verses that step right into this space of how we use our time wisely or unwise. And Paul is writing in a very practical section. We're just gonna look at a few verses here together. And as we walk through it, my hope is that this really starts to become very practical for us. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to the God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a beautiful text right here that starts to talk about how do we use our time. Now, when we look at these passages week after week after week, we can kind of get stuck right in the narrow piece of our passage. But originally, when these letters would have been read to a church, oftentimes it would have been read as a whole letter together. So I want to do a quick recap as you go back to the beginning of chapter one, and Paul outlines the confidence we have when we call upon the name of the Lord that we're sealed by his spirit. And that confidence then is reiterated in chapter two of Ephesians that it's by grace you're saved, it's not of yourself. And so this grace of salvation is based on Jesus Christ and we're secured in who he has. And then in chapter two, verse 10, it says he's prepared works in advance for us to do. So now in, in response to this solid gospel foundation of our heart captured by Christ, we then live in response. And so the rest of the letter begins to outline practical ways we live in response to what God has done. And as we get to chapter five, look at the very first verse in chapter five. It's talking about how we imitate Christ now out of response it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. When you see words repeated, there's an there's a, a interpretive clue. So we see walk is gonna be repeated a couple of times in chapter five. Walk in love. So as we imitate, imitate Christ, we're to walk in love. Look down then at verse eight. That word walk pops up again. Walk as children of light. So we're to walk in love as we imitate God. We're to walk as children of light as we imitate God. And, and if you've missed last week, you can go online and, and watch Pastor Jesse's sermon as he walks us through this whole passage together and, and outlines it. But you see this chapter five, walk in love, walk as children of light. And then today's text, the very first verse, verse 15 says, look carefully then how you walk. And we're narrowing in on what does it mean to walk as wise? So in response to what Christ has done in our heart and life, as we walk with him, we walk in love, we walk as children of light, we walk as wise. Now let's drill down on that today. There's a contrast then that shows up in this passage between wise and unwise. And the language that he uses kind of jumps around in these next few verses, but it, but it falls in those two spots. There is this contrast. There's this best use of time and foolish use of time. There's getting drunk with wine and being wasteful versus being filled with the Spirit. It goes back and forth through this passage talking about wise versus unwise. So what you do and how you spend your time matters. So we wanna take a careful look at that together. And in order to answer some of these questions, first we need to understand, am I using my time wisely? We need to ask, what, what is wise? What is a wise use of time? And Paul's clear in this passage right here that a wise use of time is understand and follow the will of God. 
You can't outwise God, the creator of the universe. If you're trying to be wise without God, you aren't going to be hitting it. Look at verse 17. As he talks about being wise, in verse 17 he says, in contrast to being foolish, unwise, understand what the will of the Lord is. There's an assumption you know what this is. So walk wisely, walk in the will of God. Wisdom takes time to develop. Let's focus on wisdom and then we'll talk about the will of God for a moment. But as you think about wisdom, this requires an ethical insight into God's will. This is the sort of wisdom that takes time. Biblical obedience over a long period of time matures and ingrains wisdom. As I think about when I was the wisest, it was probably when I was 19. (laughs) Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Graduating high school, maybe 22 as I graduated college. Because early on, you think wisdom is like, okay, I got a quick answer for a question. And it somehow gets equated in our heads at a young age that if I know the right answer, I'm wise. And that's why early on, you talk about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. But I felt like at 19, man, I got answers. People ask dating questions. I know the answers to this. People went to college. I know this. And man, I'm just a dispenser of wisdom. My parents have just gotten old and out disconnected. Like, I just know it. Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, but then it isn't amazing how we read things like the book of James. In the beginning of James, it talks about pray for wisdom and God will give it to you. And then verses like James 1.19 start to stick in our minds as we get older where it's quick to listen, slow to speak. And it's amazing how sometimes that wisdom takes time. And we can underestimate at a young age the significance of small decisions in both categories of wise and unwise. As an integrous decision in the dark with nobody looking that's wise often doesn't get applauded. And yet, a decision upon a decision that is wise, that is helpful, that is right, that is holy upon decision creates a track that heads towards biblical wisdom, which is applied over years. We can also underestimate the significance of a poor decision that we're not caught. Just because we're not caught doesn't mean it was a, wasn't a bad decision. You make a dumb decision, you do something unethical, you, nobody sees it. What's the big deal? It's not harmful. Stacked upon another one, stacked upon another one, stacked upon another one, stacked upon another one, heads in a way that's unwise, that's foolish. And so this, this wisdom is understanding what the will of the Lord is and walking in that direction continually. And that's where wisdom often doesn't show itself up for until years and years and years and years later. So no, I was not the wisest I'm ever gonna be at 19, <laughs> nor 22, and certainly not now. And I realize that more and more. And I think that's, that's where he's talking about here. Let's, let's be wise. Let's be wise, which is understanding what the will of the Lord is. So what is the will of the Lord? If we're to understand the will of the Lord, and this passage makes it assume, it looks like it assumes we know the will of the Lord. Well, what is it? Because I often get questions like, what would God want me to do in this situation? So let's step back for a moment. In a general sense, the will of the Lord is known in Scripture. In a specific sense for your specific situation, There's freedom, and we'll talk about how do you make decisions in those moments, but the general will of the Lord, we know. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, the will of the Lord is your sanctification, your growth in holiness. As you read through scripture, what is the will of God? Just 
Read it. You're going to see holiness and purity. And, and you, when you read in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking to an audience, and, and there are so many practical things to walk in. How do we know what God's will is? We saturate it in Scripture, and, and we read Colossians 3, and it gives attributes of holiness we walk in. We read the end of Galatians, and we see the, the fruit of the Spirit that is a result of living close to Christ. We look at passages like the end of, of Ephesians, and we walk in those. When we're saturated with Scripture, we walk wisely make decisions based on scripture. So this is a general will of God that we walk in. If you feel a call on your heart to rob a bank, wrong. <laughs> it's not in the will of God, right? There's a general sense of which stealing is wrong. And probably doesn't take us long to look through scripture to find that one, but it starts to get more nuanced in other situations. And so there's this general will of God that we follow, but then the question comes, how do I know God's specific will for my life? And it showed up for me 11 years ago or so when I'm thinking about getting married and I'm looking going, okay, God, do I marry her? Where's Johanna's name in scripture alongside Nick's name that says this is the right person? <laughs> like, what, where is it? Or do I get married on this day or that day? Do I put these clothes on or those clothes on? But more specifically on the marriage illustration, okay, okay God, in a general sense, find somebody that loves Jesus more than me, that has holy attributes that I find in scripture that I can pursue and walk alongside Christ with. But back to my question, is she the one? Do I get to choose anybody? Do I choose her? Is there one for me, a soulmate I'm looking for? Is this, this, this? How do we do this? Now, isn't it fascinating in those moments as we try to discern God's will specifically for my life, let's stick with the, the marriage illustration, that when you're single, you ask your single friends for marriage advice? What's the irony of that, right? Let's all stand around as people not married and ask about how we get married. What if we ask somebody who was successful and actually got married? <laughs> that's where the real wisdom comes from. And that's where this is, this is communal. And so for me, one of the, the conversations that sticks in my head is after I proposed to my wife and it was about four months until um, our wedding date. I remember looking at this couple that I just really respected in the congregation. I was giving their son guitar lessons at the time, and so I knew the family from the inside and the outside. They'd been married about 16 years, about 16 years at that time, and I thought, oh, man, there's somebody that has a marriage, a relationship that I could really learn from. You know, at that point, I was still at my wisdom spot that I didn't really trust my parents, all the wisdom in their life, so I went outside of my parents to somebody else. If you can relate, that's why we need a family of God to work with one another and help these things. But I remember asking this couple, can I have dinner with you and just ask you some questions? My palms were sweaty. I sat down at that dinner. There was only one question I really wanted to ask. It was four months until we were married, and I just sat down and I said, I just have a question to ask because my voice is shaky, my palms are sweating. How did you remain sexually pure until you were married? Because I got four months, and I have, this is going to be a challenge. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'll never forget what this wise couple said. We didn't. Ooh, I did not know where this conversation was gonna go. <laughs> that is not what I expected. But how beautiful that for that conversation, this wise couple that I so respected how God had worked in their life and their heart were able to unpack for me some of the challenge they faced early in their marriage because of some of the decisions. How just because they weren't pure for the marriage didn't write them off for the rest of their life. Like God, his grace is bigger than that. God has worked powerfully in that couple's life. 
Now, they're wrestling with, now, how are we gonna talk to our teenage kids about purity, mindful of our own history and these type of things and navigating those waters and space. And so there's some real wisdom in those conversations as we step into it. But as we go in God's general will and try to determine what is the specific direction and will, we find ourselves baked into a community and family of God that has wisdom beyond our years that we can tap into, people that have walked with God, that have made wise decisions, and we look around, tap into that, ask questions. Not just of your peers, but also those one step ahead. And let that speak into your heart and life as you determine what is God's will for me that I might walk wisely. Now, not only is there wisdom, walking wisely, but there's the reverse. There's the unwise, or it says the foolishness. So what, what is foolishness? What is he, what is he talking about here? I mean, quite directly, foolishness is the opposite of what we just talked about. So we don't need to unpackage that all together. But there's the opposite. Paul connects foolishness to the fact that the the days are evil. There are so many things in the world that would draw our time to things that are opposed to God's will, and they're, they're foolish. They're foolish. The world is full of time thieves. John 10, 10 would say it this way, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And what more could the devil destroy than our time, our most valuable limited resource? There are so much of these evil days that would suck away from a wise living that would cause wastefulness. And the bottom line as I kind of process through this spot, which will kind of unpackage the whole passage, is this. If you are seeking God's will, you are never wasting your time. If you're avoiding God's will, you're always wasting your time. If you're familiar with the biblical reference to Jonah, a waste of time running from God. If you are seeking God's will, you're never wasting your time. If you're contemplating and thinking about how do I live out God's will as I study scripture and figure out what does that look like in my life. If if you are seeking God's will, desiring to, to live in God's will, it is never a waste of time. I have never heard somebody come to me and said, you know, as I've reflected on this year past, I really regret the time I spent praying with my kids. I've never heard anybody say that. It's never a waste of time. I've never heard anybody at the end of the year look at their finances and go, you know what? We just shouldn't have supported that mission effort. What a waste of our finances. I've never heard that. I've never heard somebody you know, come at the end of the year and go, you know what? I can't believe I took that week off and went to elementary camp. What a waste. Now, I've heard people come back from elementary camp and go, wow, that's exhausting. <laughs> But I've never heard somebody say, wow, that was a waste. I've never heard that. Because when we invest and we pour into and we determine and we live in and we focus on and we route our attention into God's will, it is never a waste of time. It's always a wise decision. So at this point, you might think, okay, so I need to stop my job, shorten my commute, give up on those team activities, no longer be part of an association, stop that vacation, no longer... No, no, no. This is not a call then to head into the Cascade Mountains and be a monk. (laughs) This this is not where scripture is moving us toward in the application. So the the answer is no to that. Scripture doesn't lay that out here for us. And what I am saying is you may need to drop some things you're doing. Now to clarify, there are some things that might need to stop. Your calendar may need to look a little bit different. It's not the primary push, but that may be an application. So look where Paul goes next in the text. Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit. Now, it might seem out of place to start talking about alcohol, but it's not. Follow the thinking here. It's actually a perfect application. He says that getting drunk on wine is debauchery. Debauchery means wastefulness, reckless. It's wicked, it's wrong, it's sinful. Ultimately, it's a waste of time. Things that don't matter. Drunkenness takes away from our ability to decide with clarity what the will of the Lord is. It takes away our ability to clearly discern. And so the reason you shouldn't just drink to get drunk is because it's foolish, it's sinful. It's a waste, which is why when somebody's drunk, we often say they're wasted. It's a waste of our most valuable piece of thing, of of our asset, which is time. So the contrast here is between drunkenness and the spirit. What he's not saying is that don't be drunk out of your mind with alcohol, instead be out of your mind in the spirit. That's not his point, because what happens when we're filled with the spirit? Think of, think of Galatians 5, and 23. At the end of it, a defining character being filled with the spirit is self-control. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you are completely of your mind, you have clarity, there's self-control, there's an ability to use your time wisely. So don't be drunk where you can't discern anything and there's, there's foolishness that runs rampant because there's a wastefulness, but instead be filled with the Spirit which brings a clarity, an understanding of the will of the Lord, a pull on your spirit to apply Scripture. So be filled with the Spirit be filled with the Spirit in contrast to wasted living. Now, if, if alcohol is a part of your history in there, or maybe a part of your present where alcoholism moves into a space for you that it's out of control, please reach out, get help. Let it not be a place that wastes your time away, but don't waste another moment and let us help step into a spot of whether it's CR or other environments where we have getting help for you. So let us know in the lobby, write in a connect card, follow up with somebody, reach out to a family member. We wanna help you move from a spot of being out of your mind and alcohol into a healthy place to make wise decisions. Let us be in that place. Now, if, if alcohol for you is something simply that is a celebratory thing, that you enjoy a bottle of wine on anniversary and enjoy some time with that, and there's an ability to celebrate, praise God, walk wisely, and in all of what you do, be in a place of clarity of mind and then have great freedom and enjoy these gifts that God has allowed us to enjoy together. It'll look very different for each person in this room. Now, Paul transitions right after this into be filled with the Spirit. And, and what he talks about here is living wisely. Now, he doesn't go in and give us the time management cal calendar outlook invite list. He doesn't say, now on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, here's how you prioritize your time. That's not where he goes in this passage, but instead, he's gonna tell us how we should be in the environments we find ourselves. So let's, let's read this together and we'll unpackage this, this last part of the, the passage. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so, and so instead of focusing primarily on our doing, in this passage he moves towards our attitude, our being, how we're present. And there may be some things that are totally acceptable for you to continue to do, like don't 
quit your job. You don't necessarily have to cancel the vacation. I mean, if it's a little bit late now, but if you're headed, headed to the Sounders game, yes, go Sounders. But continue in some of those things, and then let's focus on what, is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit as we relate to one another? And the first one he looks at, there's these phrases all come together in a, in a way that talk about singing. And so verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And, and I love this. It is talking about how we're addressing one another. It's talking about our, our attitude towards the Lord. And so as we think about gathered together, that's why we often, we sing songs. So we were just singing earlier. And it's a great expression of this, that we sing things that are truths of who God is. It's not a specific genre, but it's an attitude of, of where we find ourselves, the words that we use, how we speak to one another. You know, in, in the lobbies and small groups and other things, you may have heard people that if they've walked with God for a long time, it just seems natural that they slip in phrases of scripture. How, how, does, how does that happen? It happens from years of wisely walking with God, being saturated with scripture that comes out in conversation. That's why it talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual language. And so let your language be filled with that type of vocabulary. Ephesians is a great passage to do that. Take the end of chapter three and just use that as a template to pray the next time you're praying. Just pray the end of chapter three. There's practical words there that you can use. You know, there's, uh, there's language in Ephesians that have been running through our household recently that is, uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds up, like applicable for everybody. <laughs> but suddenly that conversation around healthy language comes from scripture. Let it be not just corrupting talk, but that which builds up. Let's use words that build one another up. Suddenly we're speaking scripture into one another. We're walking wisely. We are a singing people. Singing, I think, taps into this idea of how music sets, sets a mood, sets a tone, do things in a way that makes you and other people want to sing to God. Are you tone deaf? Well, we're not gonna give you a mic, <laughs> but you're not off the hook. Because you know as well as I do how music sets a tone and a mood when you step into a place. So as people of God filled with the spirit of God, are we the kind of people that when we're together, when we step into our work environments, that the attitude lifts, that it's not a downer, but it's a, a sense of which God's spirit is present. Music changes the feel of a room. Let's illustrate that here just, just for a minute. So, um, so listen to this, this first clip and see what it does to the atmosphere of this room. Oh, country. How many of you guys are country fans? There's a few smiles out there. There's a few other people like, oh my goodness. So forget the genre, but it just kind of gets a little bob gun and I, I, I feel like I need a straw, like straw or something. Anyway, there's country. So, so listen to this next one and see what it does to your heart rate. Like, like what happens when the mood of this room with this next song? Some of you just looked annoyed. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I just need to fight somebody, right? Like, let's run, let's move. Like, it raises the heartbeat. It, it does something to the mood of this room. <laughs> Some of you are not happy. All right, this is great. See, it changes the mood. Okay, listen to this. Suddenly, we feel like we're in Target, right? <laughs> it's just top 40. You just hear it way too much everywhere. You're singing along. You can't help but move. It just unites. Music does things like this. There's, there's the last one. Listen to this. How many of you just suddenly crave Italian? You know, you're, you're thinking of your posture like you weren't before. I think opera just does something to us. 
And I think that's what, that's what Paul's tapping into here is he's writing and he's talking about singing and making a melody in your heart. What is, the, what is the background track of your life? As you step into environments and you step into a meeting at work, you know that certain people walk into places and the mood changes, just as if we hit a soundtrack. The Spirit of God is present in your heart and your life as we use words with one another, as we step into different environments. We're encouraged to be a people that because of the Spirit of God in us, we sing and we encourage and there's a place that, that we change the atmosphere of the places we find ourselves. Tone deaf or not, we step into those places. Look what he says next. When we're filled with the Spirit, not only is there this singing, these spiritual songs, this melody, but in verse 20 it says, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be thankful. Be thankful. This is, this is starting with saying thank you. That's a good place. And many of us have, have built that into the rhythm of our vocabulary. But how about before Thanksgiving, where maybe we buy a card to say it for us, but maybe before Thanksgiving, we actually are a people that on a Monday would say, thank you, I'm grateful. So many of us, as we come to the Lord, have prayers that start with what we need, but as a spot, we're grateful for our Heavenly Father and then mindful of the context here with one another. To be able to verbalize to somebody, I'm thankful for fill in the blank. In our, in our family, we try to, on a regular basis in the evenings, talk about what we're thankful for. And some nights, it's great, it's easy. We float around the circle and it's awesome. Other nights, I don't feel very grateful. And I honestly have a really hard time thinking of anything other than, I'm grateful for this house. <laughs> like, that's true, but man, it shows in my heart. Man, I have a hard time right now thinking of a lot of things. But man, we build that in the rhythm of our life to speak gratitude into our spouse, into our relationships, into those we're in conversation with. It's just not normal. I believe it's an evidence, as scripture talks about here, of being filled with the Spirit. We are a grateful people to God, to those around us, and we change the temperature, the environment, the places we find ourselves in when we live this out. This is how we walk wisely. It's how we walk wisely. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is no longer like kindergarten king of the hill. <laughs> right? Okay, we've moved beyond that. We're not trying to fight and get one up on every, everybody. But Paul, as he writes throughout his letters, uses the word submit over about 20 times. He takes it very seriously. And there's a powerful metaphor here of how we're to care and submit and serve one another. It's out of reverence for Christ. In this passage here, how we submit to one another. Next week, as Jesse picks up in the next verse and speaks through the end of the chapter, there's a beautiful picture of submission in marriage and how it's a picture of the gospel and so much we'll tap into next week. But it starts here first. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you knew you were gonna die tomorrow, sorry to turn morbid, but just hold on. <laughs> if you knew today was your last day, how would you spend it? Jesus knew that, and he washed his disciples' feet. Out of reverence for Christ, how do we submit to one another? This is an evidence of the Spirit working in our hearts, in our lives, that we would serve one another, that we not become individualistic and pride and about me, but continue to look outside of ourselves, and that the Spirit of God moves among us, and we submit to one another, we serve one another together. And so as we come towards this whole passage coming together, we talk about wise use of time. Man, Jesus deserves any amount of time we commit to him. 
There's no amount of time that we would spend on glorifying Jesus, being living full of the Spirit, that could ever be called a waste of time. That's wise living. Listen to these other passages that speak towards the same thing. Romans 12, one and two say, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. John 10, 10, we already referenced, says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus speaking, said, have come to give life and life abundantly. Let's not waste our time. But whenever we walk wisely, we're discerning and clarifying and living in the will of God, filled with the Spirit as a thankful people, as a singing people, as people submitted to one another. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 highlights for us, it's not just about what we add and take out of our calendar, but it's how we live in the midst of what we're doing. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so we're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. And it starts with an embrace of the gospel. And so if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus and and the words of this passage You're not walking wisely, but instead unwisely. The invitation starts with the gospel to say, step from death to life, from unwise to wise. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the invitation to step into wise living, into a fame like this that helps us discern together the will of the Lord. Don't let another day pass. Step into that relationship Our invitation to you is simple. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Let us pray together. God, I I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that that you change and transform lives and hearts. And so I pray for those in here that would step from death to life. God, would they they embrace you fully and step into relationship with with those of us here that have followed you for a long time. God, for those of us that may be making unwise, foolish use of time, God, thank you that you are quick to forgive. So I pray for repentance, for change of direction. God, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, that we do it all for your glory, that we'd wisely use our time. Thank you for your spirit that that guides and, and draws. Would you continue to use your word to saturate our hearts, to impact our life, God, in the precious name of Jesus that we pray, amen.